Rashi based on the Bracious Rabbah, Magid, Better? Yes. Yeah. Is this on? It's running. Okay. Gets me a chance to repeat the Pasuk. Rashi based on the Medrash Rabbah, Magid, Yitzias, Tzadik, Men HaMokom, Roshem. When a tzaddik leaves a place, and in many ways to interpret this, the impression is great, the impression that he made while he was there, and the ability to assess that impression after he's gone, that's why we're here this evening. And indeed, just as Yaakov Avinu left Be'er Shava and went, as Rashi indicated at the end of Parshas Tolos and elsewhere, Api Chazal, went to Yeshivas Ever, our tzaddik, Repesach Zal, left for the Yeshiva Shomalo. He left our Yeshiva, where he made a great Roshem, at the Wilf campus, many of the men's divisions, and here, of course, for the last many years at Stern College. And our task tonight, our responsibility, is to try to assess both Lichvodo and for what we need to learn and for what we need to understand to try to at least give a little bit of an impression of what that Roshem was. Going to ask Dean Bacon, who is the Monique C. Katz Dean of Stern College for Women, to begin our discussion. I want to thank all of you who are coming this evening to help us pay tribute to the memory of Rabbi Pesach Oratz, Zichrono Livracha. It is the nature of the human being, as extraordinary as we are, to be able to pay attention, to be truly conscious of only one thing at a time. As a result of this limitation, over time, a lot of the essential things in our lives become automatic. They do not have our conscious attention. And this strategy really does work to enable us to pay attention to the unfamiliar that accosts us every day. Those in charge of institutions know they can count on certain systems, on certain people who carry out their roles with precision and without outside involvement. Each semester at Stern College, we create a schedule of courses. We start with the foundational courses, those that are the bedrock, and they are written into the schedule with little fanfare, with little conscious attention. Rabbi Oritz's courses were in that category, foundational courses that the students could count on that didn't require outside advice or involvement in order to be perfect. And then suddenly, without warning, we were brought to attention by the unexpected. The teacher who was so much an institution at this college, who was central to our routine, was no more. Later in the program, we were making a siyum on Tanakh. As part of that siyum, I learned Kapitel Kuf Yud Tet of Tehillim. This is the capital that follows the letters of the alphabet and is familiar to many of us because it is customary to read the psukim according to the letters spelling the name of those who are no longer with us. As I learned the first pasuk, I thought how perfectly it describes Rabbi Oretz, zichrono livracha. Ashrei t'mini darech ha'holchim b'torat Hashem. Praiseworthy are those of perfect way who walk b'derech Hashem. This was Rabbi Oretz, praiseworthy for the path he chose in life. And later, in Pasuk Tzadivav, we hear comfort at this time of remembrance. L'chol tichla ra'iti kates. To every goal I have seen an end. Rechava mitzvat ma'od. But your commandments go on and on. Rabbi Oretz reached his goal. 
He effectively taught generations and generations of students. But the Torah he loved does not end. It goes on in the lives of his students and their children who live the life of Torah, who study the Torah that he brought to their lives. And in so doing, they bring honor to his memory and elevation to his soul. It is now my privilege to introduce the president of Yeshiva University, President Richard M. Joel. It's hard not to smile when one speaks of Rabbi Oretz. Um, so we should smile. Um, it's hard not to feel better when one encounters Pesach Oretz. So we should feel better. Um, there are life forces that leave us but remain life forces. And such is a Rav Pesach Oretz. On my desk at home, I have a plaque. Uh, when I was thinking last night about today, I looked at the plaque. I said, boy, somebody wrote this plaque uh, for Rabbi Oretz. That man is a success who has lived well, laughed often, and loved much, who has gained the respect of intelligent men and the love of children, who has filled his niche and accomplished his task who leaves the world better than he found it, whether by an improved poppy, a perfect poem, or a rescued soul, who never lacked appreciation of God's beauty or failed to express it, who looked for the best in others and gave the best he had. Hard to believe that the author didn't know him. Yeshiva University and all of Klal Yisrael has lost the presence of a venerable, versatile, involved, caring, supportive teacher and leader. I know that Rav Oratz highly valued the teachings of the Natsiv. It's, uh, it's worth mentioning that, uh, that the Natsiv uh, teaches us in Sefer Bereshus that Sefer Bereshus should be called Sefer Hayasharim. Just in the way that the Natsiv valued Yashras, that it's what we start our life with, one of the expressions that you would have to use to characterize Rabbi Oretz was his Yashras. Was his Yashras never, never Khalila in a self-righteous way, but the natural position of the human was to be upright, to only know, to only know with, with a gentleness, with a non-judgmentalism, with a non righteousness, a sense of, of course, this is the way we're supposed to be, and to inspire not by lecturing or preaching, but by just being truly generations of students, formal and informal, of whom I consider myself one on the informal level. Um, there are few things that a place can do. I note the presence of, uh, of, uh, of Zev Wolfson, who has uh, invested so much of himself in the issue of Kir of Rechokim. Um, so he could have had as a teacher Pesach Haaretz, because years and years and years ago, when uh, Yeshiva University was uh, really, frankly, in the forefront of developing how you don't reach out to people to be mekarev them, but you teach people. You show them who we are, and you therefore know, know, tamu that if you have them taste it, they'll see how good it is, he began his teaching career at Yeshiva in the JSS program in the James Stryer School, um, inspiring, inspiring countless young people who had a, a yearning to learn and to know Torah. So he did two things. He taught them Torah and he stood before them as a model of what their lives could be. And, and frankly, he was of the first generation of Machanchem in JSS, but he set the standard so today as the world is different and the JSS program is different, it's a Machina program today, we have hundreds of students here, that that lesson, that lesson which, by the way, has become more important, in addition to people learning to learn, they need to feel the closeness of the Rabboni Shalom, they need to feel the experience. 
So he has a student in Rabbi Zevi Reichman, who's, who's here, who directs that program today. But in the derech, in the derech of the warmth and the openness and the fascination with Torah and with B'nai Israel, that, that really in so many ways was, was Rabbi Oretz. Uh, he came here following his uh, sojourn in Washington Heights. And I don't know how you measure generations, but I know for as long as anybody can remember. Right? It was Rabbi Pesach Oretz who was teaching young women that there was no barrier to what they could be Jewishly through learning. That there was no barrier to how they could acquire skills and reach for the stars through Torah. How moving it is for me that, uh, that you, the women of Stern College, decided to make a Siyam Tanakh um, uh, on, uh, in his memory because there's nothing you could do uh, that he would celebrate, that he would celebrate more than that. Um, so he was a master teacher. I knew him first in a, in a, in a different capacity because I went to Camp Marasha. Um, as, a, as a part-time counselor and uh, someone uh, uh, who was uh, uh, kind of accompanying my wife uh, who had a, a, strong, uh, a strong background, and I'll mention as a swimming counselor at uh, Marasha because that certainly intersects with the life of uh, Rabbi Oretz. Um, uh, 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 Chani said to me before that someone had written and said, you know, he was such a special man that, 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 that rain wouldn't touch him, that rain wouldn't fall upon him. And I answered, of course rain wouldn't fall upon him because you took all the water in the family. Um, by swimming, uh, probably you've circumnavigated the, goal, the, the world, the globe, 15 or 16 times. Um, but, how, but how he was proud of who you were. And, and how we all were, by the way. How going to Marashah was an Orat's experience. Because, because you'd learn Torah from Rabbi Oretz, but you'd also see them just celebrating living, celebrating their marriage, celebrating the raising of their children at the home they had at Marasha that you let some other people share. But that was the point. It was always a welcome home, to me at least. So as a student who came, uh, and then I'll fast forward a few years where I, I somehow found myself as president of Yeshiva University in an unlikely moment. And when I would encounter Rabbi Oretz, there was nothing in him but support, a smile, a sense of, it's wonderful that you're here, an occasional, I'm proud of you. How are you doing? And it wasn't a pro forma statement. It was, now I want to hear the answer. But there was never a doubt. And you know, people in positions like mine um, can have doubts about where people are or how they think or how you're doing your job. I always felt that that strongly behind me, pushing me forward with pride, was Rabbi Pesach Haaretz. It almost didn't matter what I did, because he had made his judgment. And, and I think there are so many women um, who feel that way, who know that, who basked in that glow. There are so many colleagues in the faculty who feel that, who, who, who basked in that glow. So in this week's Parsha, we see how Yaakov gains incredible strength when he sees Rachel Imenu for the first time, inspired by his beloved this new strength enables him to take a boulder right, and move it and move it. Uh, uh, and it takes many men to move such a boulder. He could do it once he saw Rachel. So I could, but I won't speak about the relationship that, uh, that, uh, that Rav Pesach and his, and his wife shared. We all know it, and it, 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 it can't be encapsulated in words. But I will say we'll use it as a mushal and a metaphor. Inspired by his love for his other bride, the Jewish people, Rabbi Oretz moved the hearts of countless individuals towards leading lives of yashrus based on Torah values, um, consistently, constantly, with warmth, with love, with joy, never, at least to us, never seemed burdened by it. It was always what I'm doing today and what I get to do tomorrow. So we grieve his departure, we celebrate his life, we remember him and will remember him collectively and individually. Um, and, uh, and and I, I, it, it, this is one of those times that it's a personal honor for me to speak on behalf of Yeshivas Rabbeinu Yitzchak Lachanan and on behalf of Yeshiva University to acknowledge with thanks a life devoted to our goals and our prayers and our dreams and a life, a life well lived and well served. Thank you, President Scholl, for uplifting us and inspiring us. I want to thank the President and his office. He'll say it's what he needs to do for, from the first moment, 
the Terem, before we even knew exactly what we were going to do for this evening, we had a call from the President's office. The President wants to be there. When is it? And even though we changed the time a few times, not simple for the President to do. So he and his staff deserve tremendous credit. And I want to mention Mrs. Callie Orenbuch, who's the Jewish Studies Advisor, who really put all this together and did an incredible amount of logistics to make this happen. It falls to me to say something from the standpoint of the colleagues, and the fact is there are people in the room, quite a few, who are probably better prepared, who knew Reh Pesach for more years than I did, although I knew him for many years, Baruch Hashem, and who were with him throughout the Ma'agal Hashanah. And so, however inadequately, I will try to represent our colleagues, very pleased that we have amongst our Rashi Yeshiva from the Wolf Campus, Torah Studies faculty, including the Mechina program, Stern College Jewish Studies, and General Studies faculty, including people who don't teach today, who came in just for this because of who Rav Pesach is, and of course, our students. And I want to say three things about Rav Pesach as a colleague. I want to talk about his lumdus and his Chochmah, his scholarship, and his Chavershaft. I have many things to my three things, but it won't be that long. I want to talk about, from the collegial perspective, Rav Pesach as a teacher and as someone who was so devoted to the students. And I want to put that all together to, t- to say something about a little bit of what his great legacy, I think, at least partly, will be. Pesach and I, Rav Pesach Zal and I, really came here together. He came following an illustrious career at the Wolf Campus, then called something else. And I came, having spent a little time teaching uptown as well, as a really beginning faculty member. And what was interesting in those days, many years ago, we were never a one-room schoolhouse, but we were certainly a one or one-and-a-half building schoolhouse. And one of the ramifications of that, aside from the much lower enrollment and the much less diverse nature of the student body and all of that, one thing that happened, the schedule was much less complex, there was a lunchtime, and there was only one cafeteria. And that resulted willy-nilly in almost each day, members of the faculty, Jewish Studies faculty, that's a little group, having lunch together. And I was very struck as a kid. When I came to the group, Rabbi Oratz clearly was the Arisha B'chavura. He was the leader of the pack in the best sense. He set the tone. And he said, come on in. And the way you earned your way in was, when it was your turn, you also said a vort. And when you said the vort, not only did he not go, as some people might, he encouraged it. Everybody had a turn. He, of course, said the best vertlach, the most creative, the most clever, the most knowledgeable. But everybody got to say a vort, even the young fellow. I found that tremendously welcoming, and that was a midah that remained from day one until literally the last time that we spoke. As far as the breadth and depth of his Torah knowledge, there are people here who can tell you over, word for word, his original chidushim, and you'd get him daily, weekly, monthly. When you'd see him, you'd get him. Call on Rabbi Altuzel call on Rabbi Berman, call on our honorary faculty member, Rabbi Dr. Blau, who's sitting here. They could tell over. It's unbelievable stuff. In fact, people were after him. Some of my senior colleagues were after him, always publish. But he has a lot of Hasidic background, but he was the Litvish strain, not yet perfect. I hope, sounds familiar, I hope, it's easy for me to say, that the plan is now that the biggest critic is not Nebuch quite as accessible, I think we could let him out. We could let those Divrei Torah out, and I hope that uh, if we can be helpful, I hope that we will, Mitz Hashem. Great Torah. I'll come back at the end to a particular word, but great Torah, insightful Mituchkam, veist ganz Tanach, veist Shas, veist Alts. And he put it together in clever ways, and it was just a pleasure. What we said, well, some of the people had also things to say, what we said was what we said. What he said was always special, and it always had a beginning, middle, and end, including, very serious, that in the middle, the Schmeichel would hit, and then he'd come in with the big conclusion. It was done pedagogically, too. We were colleagues sitting at lunch. It made a great, great impression. 
a little bit about the Chochmah and the Chavrashaft. As far as Repesach and his teaching, so again, I have a somewhat unique perspective here. Even though we don't uh, make this an official requirement, we, our Tanakh program, goes through Tanakh more or less once every three years, the Svarim of Tanakh. We're not obsessive about it, but that's what we do. And I would always ask for Pesach, what would you like to teach? He always said, whatever you need me to teach, I'll teach. So sometimes I used to have fun. I used to see what was missing. I used to say, okay, we'll take one of these for the intermediate level. We'll take... We'll see what Repesach will do. And Repesach every time did the same thing. He taught the courses flawlessly. Didn't matter little Divrei Hayomim. Didn't matter a little Ezra Chemia. Didn't matter Sefer Vayikra. Didn't matter what it was. And the students always said, wonderful. Of course, he understood very well that was his challenge. And I think the same way I played a little bit of a collegial game with him, he enjoyed that game too. And then every so often a Pesach would come over and say, I have a new idea for a course. Here's a Pesach idea that worked beautifully. We can't replicate it. You know, it's hard to replicate. I want to give a class. I want to teach a Hakdoma to Hakdomis. President Joel mentioned Hakdoma in the city. He says, here's my list of Hakdomas, some which people know, most which people don't know. And the lessons and the content and the Musr and the Limud that came out of those Hagdomis, Ivaldi. Just, again, uncopyable, un- really unimitable. As far as his relationship with the students, again, aside from the Vertlach, I am reminded more recently, uh, it was fun. We were once going to a meeting, we were crossing the street, we were crossing 34th Street, and it comes into my head that he was telling me about the Amshanova Rebbe. Repesach knew everything. Hasidus, in Europe, in America, and he was giving me a whole story about the Amshnova Rebbe. The problem is the cars were coming and we are running, and students, if you, if you see faculty crossing the street, take care of yourselves first, but just give an eye. It was like surreal, and he's giving me more about the Amshnova than anybody knows, and I'm listening, and we're dodging the cars. That was repaced. That wasn't so long ago either. The highest and the love of transmitting didn't matter who he was with. Again, I'd meet him regularly, and he'd tell me about a student. And again, first the seriousness, right? This student has a chloracup. This student has a cup. This student, you know where she came from? She came from no background at all, but she went to this class and that class, and I'm working with her, and she's developing her skills, and it's going. But always, 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 the seum, the conclusion, the coda was always the same thing. And what a balas midos! Because the Chochmah and the skill and the Chloracup for a Pesach Zal didn't mean a thing, really, if it didn't have the Midos to go with it. Fantastically consistent. This was always. And again, he had a very good sense of our students, and I almost always agreed with him. But it always had to be. Agreed with that too. The Midos were the Makkabapatish. That's what really caught his attention. I want to conclude with a piece of Torah from Repesach, not one of his originals, E.F. Shaladamos, but indeed in Itziv. We didn't coordinate the president and I. The president had it exactly right. Repesach loved in Itziv. I want to conclude with an Itziv, and I want to use the Itziv to try to say a word about his legacy, if I may. It's pretty obvious, but I think it bears saying nonetheless. One day, a bunch of years ago, you know, the years all come together, but many years ago, where Pesach says to me, the Kenst and Nitziv, and the end of Parsky Seitza and Mishkolos and Midos, you know that Nitziv? It's a fantastic Nitziv. Of course, I didn't know what Pesach did. And he proceeded to tell me. And it's an Nitziv, which in terms of both its style and its content, really represents the way Pesach's Machshava went. Rashi comments that the juxtaposition, which seems somewhat inapt, as the Mitzvah points out, between cheating and weights and measures at the end of Kiseitze and Parshas Amalek, don't worry, it will have a very, very positive ending. It's going to be a little rough writing, but we'll get to the conclusion. But again, Lezech and I want you to hear it. I want you to hear how he said it. Rashi says, 
whoever cheats in weights and measures, it's such a serious Avera, such a horrible Avera, that for that you get Amalek. For that you won't get a wrist slap, for that you get inundated by Amalek. So the Tziv says, you know, this couldn't have been what happened to Kal Yisrael, and here I'll paraphrase, because the last time we looked, there were no delis and takeout stores in the Midbar. Nobody was cheating anybody in weights and measures when Amalek came. This was not what they were doing. Forgive the levity. So says in the Tziv, it must be a conceptual linkage. And the conceptual linkage that he establishes is based on a shvere gemara in Bava Basra. But this was Repesach. You take a thorny problem in Mikra, you add a shvere gemara somewhere, and after it, you'll see it becomes very, very clear at the end. The shvere gemara in Bava Basra says that someone who cheats and waits and measures is an Avera worse than Gilei Arayos. What? Makes very difficult sense to put all of that together explains the Nitziv, as he does in a number of places, and again, Pesach loved the categories, and he moved the categories. Averos, Rachmanotzan, fall into three categories. There are three cardinal Averos, three Ur Averos, and other Averos fit into that category. So any Avera in which a person demonstrates lack of Amunah B'HaKodesh Baruch either by doing something not correct, or by not observing a particular mitzvah, is really a subset of Avodah Avodazara is the worst, is the leader of the category. There are other Averos. Anybody who takes advantage of their fellow human being in a really difficult, I would say disgusting way, is really a Kim and Gilei Arayos. That's what it is. That's really the Avi Avos Hatuma. But there's a category. And people who take advantage of fellow men, notice two out of three, by physically harming them, Shvichas Domi. Including the Mavaza Chavero, Kilo Hargo, Shvichas Domi. What the Gemara and Bava Basra says in its image pointing out is something very, very deep. If we ask ourselves, what kind of an Avera is cheating in weights and measures? Between us and God, between us and man, what kind of an Avera? The obvious answer would be, it's between the cheater and the cheatee, if there is such a word. It's between people. It says in its name, not correct. Because for the one-tenth of a penny, that the person putting his finger on the scale for the one cent, for the two cents, for the half a cent, although today in our state there are people who do apparently try to cheat and mask this way, but for the one consumer and the one seller, the consumer sachako will lose a quarter penny here, a quarter penny there. So at the end of the day, it's five dollars, it's ten dollars, it's not such a major fraud. However, what kind of an Avera really is it? It's an Avera ben Makam. Why? HaKadosh Baruch was watching the thumb. HaKadosh Baruch was the one watching all the trickery. And the person is not watching HaKadosh Baruch. It says in Etziv, that's the Pshat in the Gemara above the Basra. Cheating in weights and measures is worse, so to speak, than Gilead Arise means what? It's not category two, it's bumped up to category one. Kofar Bakol Avodah is arguably the essence of all hate. And therefore you have to put it in its proper category. Somebody who cheats in weights and measures is not bogeyed against his fellow man as much as he or she is bogeyed or bogedet neged hakorosh baruch hu tzikim and avodazara. And therefore, Chazal and Rashi are very clear. If you cheat in weights and measures, you get amolek. Why do you get amolek? The arch bogedim hakorosh baruch hu. It's a punishment that indeed fits the crime. And when Pesach came to the conclusion, again, like this, like this, red, he says, that's an itziv. Here's the end of the story. I love that itziv. It's a, it's a gewaldig itziv. I've used it many times over the years. People here in the audience who can verify this, we had our opening Shabbos this year, our orientation Shabbos. We were here, as we usually are. It was Parshas Kiseitze. So I said this itziv. And I said this itziv, A, because I love it. B, the message for our students is better than fantastic. And C, I found a finish. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, if you'll take a look, I won't bother you with the technicalities now. Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, on the spot, one of our great Rishonim on Torah, seems to have adumbrated the Nitziv. He talks about cheating in weights and measures as an Avera ben Odom Lamako. He has psukim, Mishle and elsewhere, he has a Gemara to support it, some of which the Nitziv quotes. I'm fairly certain that Nitziv couldn't have had Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor, although it was a print late 19th century, we can worry about that later. 
I was so happy because I was going to tell. So I had something new for the students. I had the Musser. I had the text. I had people sitting there from our faculty. We're all having a wonderful time. And I felt very good because I said, and now I'm going to tell Rapesaf, I'm going to scoop him. You know the great Nitziv? Ooh, it's a Rabbi Yosef before sure. Which I think he would have liked to know. Lo Yotzi. We spoke when Pesach called in to say, I had some surgery, nothing terrible, I'll be back. We spoke again, it's not going so well, but we had a plan, I want to thank, we had faculty who literally, one day to the next, covered classes, walked in, worked all night to prepare, brought in Gilyono, brought in things to cover, they deserve a lot of credit, again, they'll say that's what they're supposed to do, and I'll agree, but nonetheless, they get tremendous credit for that, that's Haverschaft. And then Rapesa called and we hatched a plan that after Sukkot he'll come back and he'll have a car service and the deans had a wonderful idea and everything was on key and I said, and when he comes back, I'm going to tell him the Rabbi Yosef Shore with the Nitziv. So now we have the Gemara, the Endexubis, the Rebbe. If we could have Rapesa back for a minute or two or three or four paraphrase, we'd ask him, Rapesa, maybe he'll clarify this fantastic thing you said over here, that fantastic thing over there, but here's the legacy. So I told that vort to 300 and something students that Shabbos. Those 300 and something students, hopefully they heard it, how many of them now know that wonderful vort from her Pesach? They'll tell it to their students maybe, Mitz Hashem, someday. They'll tell it to their families. They'll tell it to their friends. What's the schar from the original Rebbe who told over that vort as one of thousands that he said to a colleague, the legacy, Peros Karen the legacy is E.F. Charles Sha'er. I'm trying, as the president suggested, Repesach delivered his Vertlach Besimcha. There was always the pathos piece. And it's interesting, Repesach could get aggravated about things too, never with the students. He always wanted to know if Yeshiva's doing the right thing, if we're doing the right thing. He was not the happy-go-lucky person that he sometimes appeared to be. He was a klugachachem. He had angst, he had inyonim. But when it came to delivering the Torah, the pathos was part of it, but it always came out with a sense of certainty in the sense that we've said what we've had to say, and with a sense of great simcha. I don't know how we can even try to emulate all of that, but I say to our colleagues, I say to our chaveirim, I say to the mishpach, I say to our students, we have a wonderful role model who has taught us so much, not just in terms of the Torah itself, of course, but in terms of how to live and how to present, and how to act, and how to be, if we can take away a little bit, perhaps, Yatsanu Yiday Chavoseinu. Bila Hamavas Lanetzach Hamach Hashem Lekidim Meakoponim Yizichro Baruch. Now, I would like to call on one of our students, Tracy Levine. Again, hundreds we could call on. Tracy has prepared wonderfully and carefully she has also her own words, Lezeche Nishmas, the Pesach Please, Tracy. Last year was a transitional year for me at Stern. I was coming back from Israel and reintroducing myself to the college life. I went through the first semester on super speed, but by second semester, I realized I needed more. This required me finding a teacher who could be my mentor, who I could go to when I had questions or whenever I just needed to talk. Rabbi Oretz was that person. From the day I stepped foot in his class, I knew I had found a mentor. Every day, Rabbi Oretz would greet me with a smile and ask me how my week was going. He loved all of his students, and he made them feel loved. And when a student was having a rough day, he was always there to talk, to make meetings, and to cheer up. Wednesdays were always the best day in Rabbi Aretz's class. He would start with a 15-minute schmooze about the Parsha. For those of us in Stern, our lives are very busy, and we had a little chance to learn the Parsha for the week. 
he always gave us something to say at the Shabbos table. His insights were always very different, but they always made you think and appreciate the parsha. Finals time is always stressful, and mistakes often happen. Last year, I was up all night studying for a final, and I slept through my alarm. I ran 15 minutes late to Rabbi Aritz's final, crying and very embarrassed. He turned to me and asked, Are you Ben Adam? Do you deserve to be treated like one? To which I responded, yes. And then he said back, then calm down, breathe, and take the test. Rabbi Oretz really personified a machanech. He showed me many skills that I would use with my future students. He exemplified the total Talmud-Rebbe relationship. Rabbi Oretz believed in his students, and he thought of each of us as unique and special. And he made it clear to every single one of us. This semester has not been the same without him. In the Zuchus of Rabbi Oretz, may I, a future teacher, learn to love my students and treat them each as prestige friends. Thank you, Tracy. Again, over the years, the number of students, men and women, here at Yeshiva University in all of its manifestations and elsewhere in Morashad, throughout, where Pesach gave Shurim up and down, Bishvakimu Birchavot in the best sense. So how many thousands we can't count. But to represent our alumni, we have someone who is both an alumna and, perhaps even more importantly, a member of the family. Jacqueline Levi Oratz, please, if you want to hear a few words about the Pesach. I would like to thank everyone at Stern College who made today possible. Today is such a special and perfect way to honor Rabbi Art, Zichrona Livracha, and I am so appreciative to be part of it. Thank you to all the faculty members and students who participated in learning for the CM. I was told that the Tanakh was divided up very quickly as everyone was so eager to participate in today's special event. I had been given a dozen different pieces of advice from former and current college, Stern College students in the months leading up to my first semester here. But only one kept repeating itself, you've got to take Rabbi Oreck's class. And it didn't matter which class, because it wasn't the class, it was him. It took me three semesters to get into my first class with Rabbi Oreck's. It was second semester sophomore year and he taught many classes each semester and they were being held in some of the biggest classrooms in the building. But I waited and kept trying and then finally found out why and it was worth the wait. Every single word that came out of his mouth was full of his love for Torah. It filled the entire room. And after being in yeshiva for 16 years before that, the material tended to repeat. My six-year-old daughter is now learning Sefer Bereshis for her first taste of Chumash and will Emir Tashem be learning it over and over again for years to come. So I wasn't expecting to learn so much new material when I started Rabbi Oretz's class on Sefer Bereshis. I was so wrong. Rabbi Oretz had so many new and amazing things to say that it took around a month to get through one parak. So after years in yeshiva, it felt like I was hearing a much-studied and discussed Parshas Bereshis for the first time. When it came time to study for exams, Rabbi Oretz's were not my most difficult tests. He really wanted us to do well and wanted that to come easy. But I still studied my heart out because he made me want to do well, my best, and I really wanted to make him proud. I was surprised to get my first exam back and have more corrections on my spelling and grammar than on my actual answers. I found out later that he was an English major when he was in school, so I credit my college-level Chumash rabbi and not my third-grade teacher for teaching me that the word beginning has a double N in the middle of it. I should have known that his genius was not limited to Torah. I just never met a rabbi who was so brilliant in so many areas. He was extremely worldly, and he had a deep understanding of people and human nature. So Rabbi Oretz was a teacher who pushed you to excel in everything. There were no limits. I took Rabbi Oretz's class again during my last semester at Stern. Yep, I actually got in twice. 
Midway through the semester, my relationship with Rabbi Oretz changed. He went from being the best teacher I'd ever had to being my future father-in-law. The four of us went out to dinner one Sunday night to officially meet. I was so nervous. I realized later how foolish it was to be nervous. My future family was even more special and warm and sincere than anything I had experienced in school. And the next day during attendance, after Rabbi Orat said my name, I got a nod with my smile. I was on cloud nine, and every class I waited for my special nod and smile, and it was the best feeling. One day during attendance, because there was no way I was talking during class, I whispered to my friend sitting next to me, I'm dating his son. And she was so jealous, and she didn't even know my future husband, Moshe. It wasn't about Moshe. All that mattered was that I was marrying Rabbi Oretz's son. How lucky was I? You can imagine how much more special the best day of my life, my wedding day, became after he accepted our request to be Messiah Kedushin. At the Badakin, when he came to give me a bracha, we were both very emotional, and it felt like I had two fathers from that day on, instead of Rabbi Oretz becoming my father-in-law. The same holds true for my mother-in-law, who has always treated me as a mother would to her daughter. She is my friend as well, and I am so thankful to have such a wonderful mother-in-law, and Rabbi Oretz was lucky to have her as his partner in life. They have always been, in my mind, the perfect couple, and have been a perfect complement to each other. For the first seven years of our marriage, Moshe and I were lucky enough to live three blocks away from my in-laws. We got to spend almost every shop, every other Shabbos together. First, we walked to their house, and after our first child was born, they walked to our apartment. It made our Shabbos those weeks so special, and I feel lucky to have had all the time we did with them that we did. And at every meal, he spoke about the Parsha, and I felt like I was back in his class again. How happy I was not to have graduated from this part of my education. My parents live far, far, far away in California, but with my in-laws here, I have always felt loved and at home. Sometimes I can be not so serious, um, maybe more than sometimes. So my friends would ask me what I acted like when I was around my father-in-law. Did I put on a serious act? But I never felt like I had to be anything but 100% myself, and on top of that, I felt appreciated for being who I was, and when I made him laugh, well, it was one of the best feelings. He really did accept everyone and made them feel good about themselves. Since Air of Rosh Hashanah, I've been hearing so many beautiful stories about my well-loved and well-respected father-in-law. I feel such a tremendous loss for myself, for my family, and so many thousands of people, generations of people and families that Rabbi Oretz has clearly touched. He changed lives. He set people's lives on their tracks. He rooted a love for Torah at a very early age in some that they carried it with them throughout their lives. And for others, it came at a time in their life when they could have potentially walked away from Torah forever. And with his warm, sincere words, his sharp intellect, and unconditional love for Torah and all of Hashem's children, he pulled them back with a soft but firm hand, and they too carried it with them their whole lives. Sometimes it's only when you lose something or someone that you appreciate them. With Rabbi Oryx, that was not the case. We didn't need to lose him to see his greatness and his uniqueness. I've seen it, seen it since day one. How could you not? One of the things I've been hearing the most from people is how universal he was. He could move from teaching an upper-level adult group of men to the youngest, newest little members of the Torah world, and he knew how to speak to each one at their appropriate level. And how does a person speak to a room full of people and make each individual in the room feel like he is talking only to them? No, I didn't need for him to go to know and appreciate his kindness to his greatness. I knew it every time Zadie came over for Shabbos, and my children, only six, five, and two, ran to him for a hug and a smile and his undivided attention. They would immediately begin to tell Zadie about something from school, a song, or show him an art project or a new Parsha, 
or Aleph game, and the nachas was evident on his face. He made them feel like there was nothing more important because there was nothing more important to him. No, I didn't need for him to go to know and appreciate his greatness. I knew it when Dad would turn to me next and ask me with deep, sincere concern how I am, how my parents are, and ask me for an update about something he knew was going on with me. And I got complimented on mundane things the average person would not think to, think to comment on, but he was far from average. And with his compliments, he made me feel like the superstar. No, I didn't need for him to go to know and appreciate his greatness. I knew it every time he spoke to my son and he called him Reb Yaakov Aryeh. And every time Zadie would call him that, Yaakov would light up, he loved it. And it would make him act like a Reb Yaakov should act. When my husband and I were trying to get the kids to do something and they didn't listen right away, all Zadie had to do was say their name with love in just the right way and they listened immediately. It could be that some of it was his years of experience, but I think mostly it was just part of his magic. I see many of my father-in-law's wonderful qualities in my husband, his honesty, generosity, selflessness, and his contentment. I feel blessed to have married someone who had and has such beautiful role models. I hope that my husband and I are properly able to carry Rabbi Oritz's memory and Midos onto our children and that they will grow into adults of whom he would be proud. It is what Rabbi Oritz did for my family that I will miss the most. I will miss having Zadie there for my children, seeing him smile when they give him nachas, having him to learn from as they grow up, just being around his special magic. Because as committed as I am to making sure my children know their Zadie, the magic part is indescribable. He was one of a kind. I very much appreciate you allowing me to share my thoughts with you today. As you know, what I said doesn't come close to doing justice to what an amazing person Rabbi Oretz was, but no words already in existence could do him justice. A final thought to my stern college sisters, past and present. After I graduated from student to daughter-in-law, I had the privilege of hearing Rabbi Oretz sing so many of your beautiful praises. I know from hearing it directly from my father-in-law what amazing women occupied these classrooms. He was including every single woman here. I want you to know how proud he was of you and how much he enjoyed teaching you. I would like to thank you for that. May we all continue to make Rabbi Oretz Zichronali Racha proud with our continued learning. Thank you, Jackie, for your wonderful and inspiring words. As you heard from Jackie's discussion, Rabbi Pesach was by nature an onav. He didn't speak a lot about the family, but every so often in our meetings and discussions, he would say, Kedarko, you have to hear the shot my son gave on this. And another son said something else over here, just a little bit that he'd say it. And you could see that, of course, the admiration and the happiness was just brimming and he was so pleased that they were sharing his life and sharing his love of Torah as well. And so we are very honored to call upon Rabbi Yossi Oratz to speak to us about his father. On behalf of my mother and the entire family, I'd like to thank President Joel Professor Kanafogel, Dean Bacon, and the entire faculty and the entire student body, student body for giving us this wonderful opportunity to hold a memorial here in Stern College. You know, it's really appropriate that we're holding something here because my father really, he really loved Stern College. He had, he had a very special relationship with Stern College. I didn't know him back in the YU days. But I know that he used to tell me often how much he loved teaching here. And he would say it from, from a number of perspectives, uh, perspectives, from a number of reasons. And he'd say, Yassi, just the learning. I love the learning. The students are so good. The learning is so quality. They're so interested. He liked the stimulation. He liked the attention that, that people paid to what he was teaching. He liked the challenge. 
And he used to even sometimes say, he says, you know, you wouldn't do badly if you would think of marrying one of the students. And it's actually funny that somehow we only ended up with one because there were really so many students that he had such high, that he held in such high esteem. And sometimes when we were watching him mark papers, which sometimes seemed like he was always doing, he'd say, oh, this student, and you have to see what she wrote. He loved this student so much, and he really loved Stern College, the entire experience so much. So really, thank you so much for, for the experience, for, for allowing us to hold this here. Really something that's, I think, very appropriate. Now, before I, I say what I had planned to say, I just want to mention, actually, a little bit about the Nitziv that, that uh, President Joel and, um, and Professor Kanderfogel mentioned. First, this specific Nitziv that, that you mentioned was actually right after my father awoke from that, that minor surgery that he had. So my brother David was sitting there, and he turns to David, and the first thing he says, the surgery was in Parshas Kiseitse, he says, do you remember the Nitziv on Parshas Kiseitse? It was that Nitziv that he mentioned. But that Nitziv is also very special to me because this past year when I was still living in Israel, I made a bris for my son Yaakov. And my father, it was a short trip and he decided that it was too much for him to come just for three days. And I was obviously very disappointed and I didn't want to push him because you knew that if you'd push him, he'd come because he always wanted to make his kids happy. So I decided I wouldn't push him. And I said, but what should I say? I was discussing with him, it came out, I guess, probably Parashas Peshalach, and I wanted to talk about Amalek. And I told him certain ideas I wanted to say, and right away, instantly, he says, well, you have to say the Nitziv and Kiseitze on Amalek. And that Nitziv became the central feature of what I said. So it's really very appropriate, and I also didn't compare notes with President Joel or Professor Kanderfogel, but it really is very appropriate that that was the Nitziv that was mentioned. So when I was thinking about the recollections that I would share with everybody today, I was thinking that in a way I'd be sharing it from a perspective that we don't share. Because many of you sitting here have been, were at some point the students, while I'm his son. And so it's a perspective that, it's, it's a different perspective, a different vantage point. But then I realized that we don't share it, but we also do. And we do for two reasons. I can't begin to tell you how many students, through emails or through comments or through phone calls, told us that when my father passed away, they felt like they lost a father figure. They felt like they lost a Zaydi. They felt like they lost a father. They felt like they lost someone that they could turn to. So in effect, he was my father, but to so many of you, he was a father figure. And so, while we lost our father, but to a certain extent, so did so many of his students. But there's another aspect that we share, because I share the aspect that you all have also, as, do, as does our entire family. Because we were all, not just his children, but we were all his students. So I want to talk both about my father as a father, and about my father as being his student, as in being our teacher. So as a father, I could only say that he was, he was truly an amazing father. A father whom you felt always, and again, not looking back, as Jackie mentioned, not turning around after the fact and saying, you know, now I realize. But you always realize that he loved you very greatly, that he loved you very much. He'd always say it. He always let you know. And you always knew how proud he was of you. In fact, sometimes you'd laugh because he would be proud of the most mundane thing. You'd say, come on, Dad, seriously. You don't really mean that. But he was. He really was so proud. And the epitome, the thing that gave him the most nachas, was if we'd be sitting around and discussing something, and certainly if, and it certainly didn't happen often, but if one of his kids bested him in a Torah conversation, he would laugh. And then he'd say, Oy, my children are Talmidei Chacham. That was his biggest nachas. And he was really a father who loves us so much. And there are two anecdotes just that I want to relate before I get to the aspect of what, it, of what a teacher he was. I remember I was 13 years old and someone on the block was sitting Shiva. And they needed a minion, so he asked me to come. And Davini was 6.30, which was an hour of the morning I had heard about but didn't actually know personally. So he said, could you join me for the minion? 
So if he asked, of course I was going to come. And I joined him. We went to Davin. Came back at 7.05, 7.10. And I went right back to sleep because, I mean, that was, that was it. I was done for the day. And at about 7.30, 7.40, right before he left his train to Stern College, he knocks on my door and he walks in. And he places a Danish on my desk. And he says, this is for you. And he walks out. So, you know, I look up, half asleep, and I see it and I roll over. And I realized then, at 13 years old, that what he wanted to do was wanted to let me know that he had appreciated what I'd done and that he knew it was hard and that it wouldn't go unnoticed. Fast forward a few years later, when we're at a slightly later hour, but still an hour earlier than I was used to, when he used to leave, he used to leave at around 7 to shul and then head to the train to Stern College. I was around 17 years old and sometimes I would drive him. And one morning he pops his head in and he says, Yes. So I wake up. He says, I'm going. So I say, okay, have a great day. Waiting for some sort of information. Nothing coming. Rolled back over, went back to sleep. That was on Monday. Wednesday he does the same thing. He pops his head in and he says, yes. I say, yeah. I'm going. And he started to do it every Monday and Wednesday. Every Monday and Wednesday when he'd leave before I was up, he would pop his head in just to let me know that he was going. Just because he wanted, a, he wanted to connect before he left for the day. And even though he woke me up, I didn't mind one bit. I felt so special that he would want to connect. And so I'd pop up, I'd say, have a great day, and then I'd roll over. But it meant so much to me then, as it still does. Now that's, that's just you know, a, small, a small idea of what he was as a father. Now I'd like to tell you what he was for us as, as a teacher. And I really think that certainly myself and so many of my brothers viewed him as our teacher. And again, not as someone who, after the fact we say, I learned so much from. But someone who over the course of his life, we knew that we were learning a lot from. We would consult him, we would ask him, we would ask to learn with him, we would talk and learning with him, we would talk life issues with him, and we recognized him as a teacher, as our teacher. Now I had him in the classroom also in Camp Marshall. I got an award, um, some safer, and you know the guy said, "Come on, it was it was fixed." I don't think it was, but uh, but I don't mean in the classroom. I mean that over the course of our lives, every single one of us basically learned so much of who we are, so much of our Torah, but so much of who we are as people from him. And I was wondering, how is it that our father was able to be our teacher? And he wasn't just a teacher by example. He was a teacher literally that we would learn with him. Most children don't want to hear anything from their parents. At best, they could have a cordial relationship, but once it takes an instructional tone, that's it, they're out. Certainly when they're teenagers, and they get a little older also, who's interested? And yet by us, it wasn't that way. And I was trying to think and figure out so why was that? How was he able to get by what's, what's such a barrier by so many parent-child relationships where the parents and children, parents say, I wish they'd listen. I just wish they'd learn from my mistakes. And they never do. And the kids don't listen. And with us, although we didn't always listen, we really did listen. We listened to what he had to say. And I was trying to figure out how it was that he transcended that barrier. And I realized that I think there were two points. The first point was, well, I'll preface by saying, one of the reasons why kids, I think, have a problem learning from what their parents preach is because kids, they don't, they don't listen to what their parents say, they watch what their parents do. And if what you say doesn't match what you do, then you pick up the inconsistency and there's no lesson. My father, at least in my eyes, was the epitome of Toho Kibaro. He was exactly on the inside as he seemed on the outside. And I'm sure many of his students, many of his students had always asked, they wanted to see what he's like at home. And he wouldn't let, because there were all these boys, Jackie somehow got through. But they wanted to see what he's like at home. And I'm telling you, he was exactly the way you would all expect him, expect him to be. Whether it was that you'd come down to the kitchen at 12.30 at night on a Mitzvah Shabbos, and you'd see him there just with one light on, a half a roll in front of him, and he's singing this mirrors to Malav Malka by himself because he was doing it and it didn't matter. Or it would be Shabbos Miris when there was a whole bunch of us and we were all fighting, he'd go along whether we were joining him or not. Sometimes we did, sometimes we didn't. 
because he was so much a tocho kibaro, so much a true embodiment of everything that he preached, that we learned from him by example, and we also learned from what he taught. And so we were able to accept him as our teacher. That's one thing I realized. And then there's the second thing, and I think the second reason is a reason that not only he was so successful with his children, but why he was able to inspire so many people, why so many hundreds and thousands of his students look at him as their greatest teacher, and one whose lessons last a lifetime. And I realized that my father taught whatever it was he taught with love, because he loved his children, and he loved his students, and he loved what it was that he was teaching. He loved Tyra, he loved to give it over, like I said, he loved his students and he, and he loved us. When you're trying to get a lesson across, when you're trying to get a message across, the best way to get it heard is if it's with love. Because what you hear, you hear the love. And the message just somehow goes in, it just gets right through. Because what you're hearing is such a positive, a positive message and a positive atmosphere that it gets right through. So when he was our father and he was our teacher, we saw that whatever it was he was doing, was with so much love. When he taught his students, they saw that he taught with so much love, that he loved what he was teaching, but that he loved them also. And so the message got through. And so there's, if there's anything looking back, and there really is so much, when I was thinking what to say, I, I felt so torn, there's so much we could say, there were so many things that we discussed already in, in the family, and I wasn't sure should I say those again. And there's so many other aspects to, to dwell on, but if there's one aspect, that's the aspect that I think I realized, that it hit me why he was so, sec so successful and why he was so universal and why he broke all barriers. And it was because of the love, the love that he had for his students, for the Torah, and for us. And so all I could say is that I hope we could follow him, follow his example in the love that we could have for every fellow Jew and for the Torah that he taught. Thank you, Yassi. First, I want to say that the award was not a fix. When it comes to a Pesach and Torah, there were no Nagiyas. Second of all, as you said, Bonim Harehem Kitalmidim, Talmidim Vitalmidos Harehem Kibonim. And finally, Baruch Shekivanu. Lisiyum, to conclude this evening, the students and faculty together participated very quickly. Again, Callie got the word out, the students got the word out, and almost before everybody turned around, the students took tremendous amounts of Tanakh to learn for the Siyum and the faculty colleagues and you'll see people who have things to do they ran to take whole Svarim whole sections all kinds of things they felt it was the least they could do for their wonderful colleague and it represented what he stood for and they of course were correct in that I'd like to call upon Esti Goldschmidt who is the Vice President of the TAC Torah Activities Council to represent and to present the Siyum This week's parsha begins with Yaakov leaving his father's home. And he leaves so that he can discover himself, build himself, build his family, and build his future. At the end of the parsha, after having encountered a meeting with God and having found his wife and his children, the parsha ends off with him leaving Lavan. And the last pasuk of the parsha is And once he sees the angels of God, he says, This is the camp of the Lord. And he called that place Machanaim. He had realized that he reached his destination. Rabbi Pesach Oras has shared his legacy with us through teaching Torah before moving on to his Machane Elokim. Women in Stern College under the guidance of Torah Activities Council have conducted um, a siyum of Tanakh where women took on themselves Prokim of Tanakh and I would like to conclude now by reading the last pasuk in Divrei Hayamim where Koresh who is a non-Jewish king of Paras calls out to the Jews and tells them to go to Israel and build 
the temple. Thank you, Esty. Uh, there will be a minute from Arav afterwards. We'll find a place. Uh, and uh, it's been just an hour. And Kisha'akala, um, we've only touched the surface. And uh, the indelible contribution that Repesach has made to this institution, to this yeshiva, to this Mekom Torah, to his family and to all of Klai's role, to all of his thousands of students, will of course continue in all that we do. I'd like to let everyone know that a fund has been established to, in order to place an appropriate plaque in our Beit Midrash. Hansik and Lenetzach to have Repesach's memory be recorded in our base Medrash. We also are buying Sforim in his memory that will reside in our base Medrash. And there are other opportunities to help support Torah study at Yeshiva University for our students that will be assigned under the name of Repesach Oradzal. Can't think of a more fitting way to give tribute to this Ish HaTorah, to this unforgettable person. We do have a Kibud Kal, which we thought would be an idea so people can talk together, can meet the members of the family and reminisce a little bit more. Wherever people have to be, students have to go back to class, wherever people have to go. But if we can, again, spend just a few more moments really basking in the wonderful memories, the wonderful Torah, the wonderful achievements of Repesach Zal, I think we'll, we will have gained for that. So we should only experience simchas. We should call you together next. We should call our president together and our deans and all of our faculty, our students together for a wonderful Torah event with only wonderful and positive thoughts. In the meantime, the thoughts that we've heard this evening are all wonderful and positive as the president began, and I hope we will internalize them and act upon them. Thank you very much for being here.